Welcome to the Wedlake Bell Legal Podcast, covering a range of legal topics, including updates from our four practice groups private client, real estate, business services, and dispute resolution. Welcome to Wedlake Bell's Data Privacy Podcast, episode 1, recorded on 13th September 2021. Today we have seven updates for you. Update number one. The second largest fine of 225 million euros was imposed by the Irish Data Protection Commissioner on WhatsApp. The ADPB was called to revise the decision under the GDPR consistency mechanism. It increased the fine fourfold by including the consolidated turnover of Facebook, yet acknowledging that turnover is not exclusively relevant to the calculation of a fine. There is a good debate about what constitutes personal data. WhatsApp was processing personal data of non-users. With user consent, WhatsApp accessed contacts stored on the device to check if any of the contacts already used WhatsApp. If they did, they were added to the WhatsApp contact list on the device. If they did not, they would be added in future if they decided to join the service. WhatsApp argued that non-user data was not personal data in the hands of WhatsApp because it was not used to identify individuals but to prepare for the future event of connectivity and it was hashed within seconds of collection with no access to other identifying information. The Data Protection Commissioner disagreed because the processing was intended to impact non-users. The DPC disagreed that its interpretation was disproportionate, referring to Article 29 Working Party's opinion that when it comes to proportionality, it is a better option not to unduly restrict the interpretation of the definition of personal data, but rather to note that there is a considerable flexibility in the application of the rules to the data. Besides, the GDPR's provisions and exemptions already defined the scope of the law, including the means reasonably likely to be used test. WhatsApp's intention not to use the data for identification was irrelevant, given the risk of singling out inference and linkability to data already available to WhatsApp. As a result, WhatsApp's anonymization was ineffective. WhatsApp alluded that non-users are not meaningfully affected by the processing, but a DPC held that the loss of control was significant. Essentially, non-users were deprived of any choice and WhatsApp purely relied on its existing users to make that choice for each of their contacts. WhatsApp tried to argue it was the processor of the user in relation to non-user data, but given that WhatsApp designed its system so that all non-user data will be processed upon the user's choice, this clearly benefited WhatsApp, which was in control. Transparency was another major part of the discussion. Insufficient information was provided to non-users, which meant they could not make an informed choice. The right to be informed is not only one of the core data subject rights, it is the bedrock upon which the other rights sit. In addition, WhatsApp failed to explain how the disproportionate effort exemption applied. WhatsApp failed to include a link to the lawful basis notice in its privacy notice and the engagement flow. WhatsApp failed to include information about data recipients. It claimed its meticulous implementation was sufficient, but the DPC held that, at a basic level, WhatsApp failed to even explain which recipients benefit from an adequacy decision. 
Legitimate interests were not sufficiently distinct from purposes. The legitimate interest must be identified for the benefit of the data subject and it is not inherent in the purpose. Explaining to users that data retention will depend on data type was insufficient and the statement that no data would be processed after closure of the account was misleading. When explaining the right to withdraw consent, the DPC held it was important including the statement that withdrawal is without affecting the lawfulness of any previous processing to manage the data subject's expectations and ensure the data subject understands the consequences of withdrawing consent. WhatsApp failed to explain which data was mandatory and what was the consequence of not providing it. WhatsApp was ordered to rectify its processing within three months. Update number two. The UK government announces a data reform to boost innovation and trade, to improve healthcare and protect the public. Despite the ICO's effort to be pragmatic and reasonable in its guidance, the UK government intends to pass laws that will amend the UK GDPR. However, this is not as dramatic as it sounds, as in many of the proposals the government will legislate in line with the derogations envisaged under the GDPR. In terms of research, the government wishes to consolidate research-related provisions to make them easier to follow, including ensuring there is a clear lawful basis for research. Individuals will be able to consent to future research which will be deemed compatible processing. The disproportionate effort exemption on transparency will be clarified for researchers. An exhaustive list of processing activities will be created which will fall under legitimate interest without the need for a documented assessment. This may include monitoring, detecting or correcting bias in relation to developing AI systems, using audience measurement cookies or similar technologies to improve web pages, improving or reviewing an organization's system or network security, or improving the safety of a service. The government intends to put the all means reasonably likely to be used test into law. The idea is that data will be regarded as anonymous when it is impossible to re-identify the individual or if such re-identification would require unreasonable time, effort or resources, assessed on a case-by-case -case basis taking into consideration the purpose of the processing and the objective criteria such as cost. The Breyer case will be amended by legislating that if the data controller has no way of obtaining the means of identification because, for example, it is held by a third party, the data is not identifiable in the hands of the controller, even though it may be identifiable in another controller's hands. Accountability will be risk-based rather than tick-box, with the compliance burden depending on the size of the organization. With the exception of public authorities, mandatory DPOs will be removed due to independence issues. DPIAs will not be mandatory if the objectives of an assessment can be achieved by alternative means. The requirement to keep a ROPA will be abolished. Breach reporting will be limited to situations of material risk to individuals. Fees will be introduced for subject access requests. Analytics cookies will be lawful without consent. The consent requirement might be removed altogether or replaced with a browser-based solution. The soft opt-in exemption for marketing to existing users will be extended to charities and other membership organizations. Numerous adequacy decisions will be adopted for international data transfers to complement trade deals.
it will be less important for a destination country to offer data privacy redress to individuals. Reverse transfers will be exempt. Private companies serving public authorities will be able to rely on the official task lawful basis. The ICO will be assigned two overarching objectives of upholding data rights and encouraging trustworthy and responsible data use. However, the ICO will also have a duty to have regards for economic growth and innovation when discharging its functions. The ICO will have subpoena powers. The Secretary of State for Digital, Culture, Media and Sport will have the power to carry out an independent review of the ICO's activities. Finally, alongside the proposals, the government has appointed world-leading experts to the Center for Data Ethics and Innovations Advisory Board, which was established in 2018. The CDEI will continue working in partnership with organizations to deliver, test and refine trustworthy approaches to data and AI governance and address barriers to innovation. Update number three. Information Commissioner's Office consults on its draft international data transfer tools. The ICO has issued a draft transfer risk assessment tool, international data transfer agreement and UK addendum to the EU SECs. It has also issued a consultation paper on various legal issues that cannot be easily clarified from the text of the GDPR. The risk assessment tool proposes three steps. Step one, evaluate your transfer. You must consider all aspects of the transfer and ensure compliance with data protection principles and UK GDPR. The context of your transfer may render it high risk, which could be exacerbated if the destination country has a bad human rights record. This can be assessed by looking, for example, at the reports produced by the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office. Step 2. Is the transfer agreement likely to be enforceable in the destination country? Generally, the legal and political landscape can be assessed by looking at the publicly available sources, for example, checking that uh, the country is signatory to human rights conventions or treaties on the enforcement of judgments, and the information provided by the importer. If you cannot conclude that the agreement will likely be enforceable, consider risk of harm. For example, is it likely that the importer would comply without court order? Or is the importer a reputable company or subject to a relevant code of conduct? And consider extra steps and protections, for example, access control, pseudonymization, or exporter taking on liability to individuals for breaches by the importer. If there is no or low risk, the transfer may still proceed. Step 3 is access to data by third parties regulated. Be guided by a statutory requirement of a warrant and statutory safeguards for workplace monitoring in the legal system of the destination country. If there is no such law, the transfer may still go ahead if the possibility of third-party access, including surveillance, is minimal, or the risk of harm to data subjects is low, even if third-party access did take place. So essentially, the risk-based approach means that where the risk is low, transfers could still go ahead even if the transfer agreement is unenforceable or access to data by third parties is not regulated. The ICO's draft transfer agreement is a comprehensive tool which covers all possible scenarios, including transfers to a third party with whom the exporter has no direct relationship. Unlike the EU SECs, it excludes reverse transfers from a processor to a foreign controller and it does not include modules but has comprehensive conditional clauses instead. Helpfully, the draft addendum will allow parties to rely on the EU SECs for transfers outside the UK.
Update number four, the case of Warren and DSG Retail. An individual sought compensation in the context of DSG's data breach in 2018. The court held that the torts of breach of confidence and misuse of private information and negligence did not assist in data breach litigation. This is because they did not impose a data security duty or a duty of care on top of the regime under data protection law. A state of anxiety falling short of a clinically recognizable psychiatric illness does not constitute damage su sufficient to give rise to a claim in tort. These torts were concerned with prohibiting actions which are inconsistent with the obligation of confidence, with a focus on positive actions rather than failure to act. In the case of a cyber attack, it is the attacker and not the affected organization that carries out a positive unlawful act. What this means is that class action may in future be limited to claims of breach of statutory duty under data protection law. However, for these claims, practice rules do not allow the recovery of after-the-event insurance. If tried in small track with damages up to £5,000, costs will not be recoverable. This could jeopardize the data breach class action business model adopted by some law firms because claimants could now face significant costs. Update number 5, G7 Data Protection and Privacy Authorities to tackle the cookie pop-ups challenge. According to the agenda for the recent roundtable of G7 Data Protection and Privacy Authorities, one of the aims was creating a more privacy-oriented internet, upholding and preserving the principle of an informed and meaningful consent. It was noted that cookie walls, where if the user does not agree to be tracked, may be denied access, and dark patterns, where the architecture of privacy notices is designed to trick users into providing consent, undermine free choice, and so does consent fatigue. Instead of cookie pop-ups, the ICO proposes to look at how web browsers, software applications and device settings could allow people to set lasting global privacy preferences of their choosing. Update number 6, ICO sets out plans for further protection of children online. Some of the biggest risks come from social media, video and music streaming and video gaming platforms. Children continue being bombarded with content and personalized ser service features. This may include inappropriate adverts and solicited messages and friends requests and privacy eroding nudges urging children to stay online. Physical, emotional, psychological and financial damage could arise. The ICO intends to consult with these organizations on how their services are designed in accordance with the age-appropriate design code, which became effective and mandatory on 2nd September 2021. Further guidance is expected in the autumn on age assurance by verification or estimation of the user's age. The ICO is working with the Digital Regulation Cooperation Forum to ensure consistency between the code and the incoming online safety laws that will jointly protect children online and ensure that the best interests of the child are a primary concern online and build into the design from the beginning. Update number 7. The ICO's guidance on direct marketing in the public sector. This new ICO guidance explains that most communications from a public authority will likely not constitute direct marketing as they are necessary for an official task or function, even if consent is relied on. This will include appointment reminders, application receipt confirmations, messages about benefits or debts, but also promotional messages about new public services, online portals and similar promotions. In these cases, the authority must demonstrate 
that sending promotional messages to individuals is necessary for the official task or function and that it is proportionate. The guidance explains how the right to object must be respected unless there is a compelling ground to continue sending the messages. Certainly any optional messages would have to stop. On the other hand, messages promoting services paid for by the user, for example local councils, leisure facilities, or fundraising, do generally count as direct marketing. This applies even if the main purpose of the message is not direct marketing. If consent is relied on for whatever reason, the ICO clarifies that this will not mean that the authority must comply with the marketing consent rules under PECA if the promotional message is indeed necessary for its official public functions. For more information, please go to the Wet Lake Bell website. You just listened to the Wed Lake Bell legal podcast. If you liked our episode and want to know more, then check out our website www.wedlakebell.com Wedlake Bell, building relationships is at the heart of everything we do.